Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Luke 23, 38, which says, a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. That's the no side saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, this is the yes side, the other answering him rebuked him saying, dost not thou fear God seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today, thou shalt thou be with me in paradise. So we had in that booth there, the no side, we had the yes side, just like the thieves on the cross there. And then Dominique said, excuse me, I have one question. And he said to me, how do you know that all this is true? Before I could answer, the resident theologian, the five-year-old Leanna says, because the Bible says it's true. (laughs) Oh boy, (laughs) What could I say except that's right? <laughs> and then he wanted to add all the, the scripted questions from the atheist about uh, slavery in the book of Exodus and God ordained slavery. And I explained to him that it was a custom in that day. And what was really important was not the slavery part, but what God commanded the masters to do to their slave, which is to be kind to them, be considerate to them. And, when, and, and then then when Dominique was gone, then I, I went again to the resident theologian and I asked her to pray for Dominique. And that was a glorious time. Now we see Joseph's brothers here and they're arriving into Egypt. They're on the no side, but they're about to cross over. As I told Dominique, God loves crossovers. So you can go from that side to this side. And this is what's happening with these brothers When it says in verse five, the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So here we see Joseph's brothers are now called the sons of Israel, the sons of Israel. They've gone from being called the brothers of Jacob in verse three to now in verse five, they are the sons of Israel. That's a new name for them. That's the first time they've gotten that name, the sons of Israel. It's interesting because the name Israel was given to Jacob as we saw in Genesis chapter 32. And it means prince with God. And when this new name of Israel was given to Jacob, there was also a new power along with the name Israel. And that new power was given to Jacob with his new name of Israel because he says, for as a prince hast thou power with God. And that new power that was given to Jacob along with his new name was a power with God. It was a power with God. As a prince hast thou power with God. How does a prince have power with the king? 
The prince has power with the king because the prince is the son of the king. And the son has power with the father more than just anyone else because he's a son, because of his relationship. It's because he is a prince, because he's a prince, as he has the power. This is what's behind the John 1.12 statement when it says a new power to become one of the sons of God and a new power from becoming a son, one of the sons of God. When it says in John 1.12, but as many as received unto them gave you the power to become the sons of God. Those who receive the Lord Jesus Christ have the power to become the sons of God. Now God is the king. And when a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes a son of God, becomes a son of the king, he becomes a prince with God. He becomes an Israel, a prince with God. So if you blended these verses together in John 1.12 and Genesis 32.28, John 1.12 and Genesis 32.28, you would come out with something like this. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become as a prince having power with God. And what activity is it? that Jacob engages in when he has power with God, when he talks to God, when he prays, prayer. It's in prayer that he has power with God. You know, he doesn't walk around with some magician like throw some magic dust and things happen, you know, like the Egyptians, the magicians. No, it's when he prays. It's when he prays, when he's talking to his father, the king, that the prince has power with God. As the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 16, 24, John 16, 24, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name, ask, you shall receive that your joy may be full. And Luke 11, 9, Luke 11, 9, and I say unto you, ask, it shall be given you. Knock or seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. So it's when Jacob is praying, that's when he's Israel. And when Jacob is in prayer, he's a prince having power with God. So here we see Jacob's sons going down to Egypt and for the first time, they're called the sons of Israel. What does that mean? Jacob's sons are now called, in verse five, the sons of the man who, when he prays, has power with God, the sons of Israel. All this is indicating to us in verse five, when Jacob's sons are called the sons of Israel, that Jacob is praying for his sons as they go into Egypt. And why shouldn't he pray? I mean, he saw the strange behavior. They're looking at each other. He's afraid for Benjamin's life. And all this has created for him a burden under which the man who was called Israel, a prince having power with God, he's praying, he's praying. And what's interesting here is that Jacob as Israel is praying for his sons, the sons of Israel, and Jacob's, and Jacob's sons are about to enter the most critical time of their lives when they will face Joseph they will confess their sin, they will ask for forgiveness, and it's like the sons of Israel are going to be saved from their sins, just like a person when he is saved and he faces the Lord Jesus Christ and confesses his sin and they ask for forgiveness. And all of this is the early stages of reconciliation, which is beginning to happen, and Jacob is clueless. Jacob has no idea that this is happening. Only thing Jacob knows is that Joseph is dead and all his sons are going down to Egypt, but he has no idea that Joseph is not dead and that this trip to Egypt is the start of the reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. He doesn't know. And if you came to Jacob and you said, are you burdened to pray for your sons? He'd say, yes, I'm burdened to pray for my sons. That's what I do is the activity of Israel. I exercise my power with God in prayer. And if you said to Jacob, Jacob, do you know what's going to happen to your sons in Egypt? He'd say, no, I don't. 
I don't know what's gonna happen to my sons. All I know is I'm burdened to pray for them. And I'm putting my sons under the umbrella of my prayers. And when I do that, my sons become the sons of Israel. Now that's an interesting picture for us. It's interesting in verse five, why? Because Jacob, as Israel, is deeply burdened for his sons. He's praying for his sons. They have become now the sons of Israel. He's praying for them. He has no idea, no idea why it's so important for him to pray for his sons. He's just praying for his sons. And as a matter of fact, Jacob is so much in the dark of what's actually happening that if you asked him in verse five, exactly what are you praying for? He'd say, I don't know. I don't know what to pray for. I don't know what to pray for my sons. All I know is that I'm burdened. I'm deeply concerned for my sons. I'm suspicious of their behavior. Just They've been staring at each other strangely. I'm afraid for Benjamin. That's why I'm praying for him. But I really don't know what to pray for. I really don't. And he doesn't. I'm just burdened. And that's why I'm here praying for him. My sons become the sons of the praying man, the sons of Israel. And if we said then to Jacob, well, Jacob, do you really think your prayers are gonna be effective when you don't know what to pray for? Jacob would say, yes, yes, I do. My prayers are effective for my sons. Even when I don't know what to pray for, I don't need to know what to pray for because God knows, and that's what's important. All I know is that I'm burdened for my sons, and therefore I'm praying. God has promised that as a prince, I have power with God in prayer. And my power with God in prayer is not based on whether or not I know the details to what to pray for. My power with God is based on God telling me that as a prince, you have power with God. As a matter of fact, God doesn't even need me to tell him because he knows much better. And then if we went to Jacob, say, okay, now Jacob, when you pray for your sons and you don't know what to pray for, what do you say? What do you say in your prayers? And Jacob would say, well, I'll tell you what I say. I say this in my prayers to God for my sons. I say, oh God, I'm deeply burdened for my sons. I saw the suspicious behavior. I'm afraid to send Benjamin. I don't know what's happening down there in Egypt with them, but you know, I don't know what to pray for, but your spirit knows, you know that spirit from creation, the hovering spirit, the hovering spirit from the creation of Genesis 1-2. He knows what I should be praying for, and he can take the burdens of my heart and my coming to you in total ignorance and make my prayers effective. So, oh God, please be good to my sons. Please protect, like Leanna said, please protect my sons. Please make my sons to be right with you. Please be the loving shepherd to my sons. And if you said, you happy with those prayers? You satisfied with those prayers? Jacob said, yes, I'm happy with those prayers because I know not the future, but I know who holds the future. Now that picture in verse five of Israel praying for the sons of Israel and not knowing what he's praying for, but just responding to this burden that he's got is very instructive for us. Because just as Jacob was burdened to pray for his sons because of suspicious behavior and so forth, and yet he didn't know the details of why he was burdened to pray, but he sensed that something important was happening something much more important than just going down to Egypt to buy food. And that's where we find ourselves at times under a, under a burden, just a burden. We don't know the details, but we sense that something important is happening. We wake up in the middle of the night. We're not able to sleep, sleep but we're under some amorphous burden, an amorphous burden. And just like Jacob, that's the time for us to pray as a prince having power with God. 
And just like Jacob had to admit that under this burden, he didn't know what to pray for. He didn't know what, when he prayed for his sons. We have to admit that. That, that. that often under our burden, we don't know what to pray for when we pray. Just like it says in Romans 8.26. Romans 8.26, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. It's so great to look at the full context of that, that statement in Romans 8.26. Romans 8.26, it starts off by saying, likewise the Spirit, you know that hovering Spirit from Genesis 1-2, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What's our infirmity? For we know not, that's our infirmity, we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, we've already said in this Romans 8 passage, it says, we know not. But there's one thing we do know in verse 28, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God. We know not what we should pray for, but we know that all things work together for good. We know that God will hashab, weave it all together, so that all the things work together for good. And just like Jacob knew that his prayers were effective, even though he didn't know what to pray for, we must know that our prayers are effective even though we don't know what to pray for with all the details, just because we are told to do that, as the Lord said in Luke 18.1. Luke 18.1, where he says, he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't give up. In Luke 21, 36, where it says, watch ye therefore and pray always. That was Luke 21, 36. And Philippians 4, 6. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. What does that mean? What do all those verses mean? They mean pray. They mean that we should pray when we know what to pray for. And we should pray when we don't know what to pray for. And we should pray until we do know what to pray for. (laughs) And just like Jacob did not let his ignorance of what was happening stop him from praying, just like Jacob did not know exactly what the problem was because he didn't know that Joseph was still alive or exactly what God is gonna do. But, But just like Jacob said that his lack of understanding didn't matter because he was praying, so it doesn't matter if we don't understand. What's actually occurring? We don't know the details because we're praying. When we pray, we, how do we pray? What are the words we pray? We pray words to, to the effect of Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We pray to God who is able to do above what we can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20 says it's above what we can ask or think. Why? Because we don't know what to ask. Because if we, just like Jacob, we often don't know what's happening. And so we just have a sense that, we, that something is happening. We need to be praying. But Ephesians 3.20 says it's above what we can ask or think. It's above what we can think because we can't think if we don't know. We can't ask if we don't know. And Jacob didn't know what was going on. He just thought his sons were going down to buy food. He had no idea they were going to come face to face with Joseph. But when we pray along the lines of Ephesians 3.20, then God is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That power that worketh in us is the power 
of the Genesis 1-2 hovering spirit of God. He's the power, the power in us. And as a prince, we have power with God in prayer. And just like Jacob relied on the same hovering spirit of Genesis 1-2 to make his prayers effective, we rely on the same hovering spirit. Like it says in Romans 8-26, the spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, just like Jacob knew what prayer was, we know what prayer, it's coming to God with a burden. It's a pouring out of our heart to him. Like it says in Psalm 62, eight. Psalm 62, eight says, trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Like it says in Psalm 142, two. Psalm 142, two. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him all my trouble. And that's why it's important for us to read these reports of the summer blitzers. Of the summer blitzers, the 2017, the summer blitzers 2017 for the year 2017. As they bring the gospel to hundreds of thousands of lost souls over these 12 weeks in U.S. and Canada, Argentina and Israel. And when those summer blitzers write things as they have about their tires have been slashed, the police have chased them away like we saw tonight. The cops called on us. Apartment complexes are locked to them. Packets have been burned in front of their eyes in the streets. They've had their pa- the packets thrown in their faces. They've been rained on. And you have a picture now in the back there of one of the summer blitzers being rained on. They, they've been rained on. They've fallen down on the sidewalks. They've hurt their backs. They've had to go undercover to get the people to open up their doors and how they found it much harder than they expected and many other reports like that. When we read those reports, then like Jacob in verse five, we, we, the, the burden comes if we let it come. God will put the burden on us. God puts the concern on us. We don't know exactly what's happening in the heavenlies. All the fights, we can't see that among the, the spiritual dark, the forces of spiritual darkness. But like Jacob, we sense there's something more going on here than just 109 Bible school students trying to knock on hundreds of thousands of doors this summer. So like Jacob, we pray for the summer blitzers and our prayers are Ephesians 3.20, Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly above all that we can ask or think for the 109 Bible school students who are out on summer blitzing according to the power that worketh in us. That should be how we do, what, what, what we do with missionary reports. Get alone, get along with those reports and pray. Get into a quiet area, read those missionary reports, think about them, take those cares and concerns and burdens into our hearts. Like a recent report that came from the Georgies in, in France, I mean in uh, Florence, Italy. In Florence, Italy, when they wrote, pray for our daughter, Giora. This past week, she was hit in the face and eye with a large plastic bottle that was full by a young boy at a birthday party. She was left with a laceration under her eye, black and blue bruises up and down her face, pretty severe damage to her left eye. She had been throwing up for hours. The first night after the first hospital misdiagnosed her was sent her home. The next day, we took her to an eye doctor where he found that something was wrong with her vision. After the doctor discovered that her, she had severe damage to her eye, she sent us to another ER that had eye specialists in her, and they confirmed the damage and discovered through days of all kinds of testing that she may lose 80% of her vision in that eye. 
We've been at the hospital every day this week. The diagnosis gets worse almost every day. They cannot tell how deep the lacerations go, how many layers have been affected, what nerves or tissues are permanently damaged until more of the blood behind the retina will be absorbed by the body. She'll go to the hospital twice a week for monitoring and testing until we have an overall plan. Her spirit is good, but her and ours, our hearts are a bit heavy. Would you please pray for complete healing over her eye, complete continued grace to open doors, share Christ with the young boy's family as we are talking with them daily. She's also supposed to be going to two weeks of school testing. Ever since this family has gone to Florence, Italy to bring the gospel, this family has been faced with one unbelievable hardship after another. And like Jacob in verse five, we don't know exactly what's happening, but we sense something more important is happening, something more significant is happening than Giora, who just was at a birthday party and was hit in the eye with a full plastic bottle. And so we open up our hearts and we take the burdens and we pray, now unto you, Lord, you are able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And like Jacob in verse five, we cannot see and we cannot know But that doesn't stop us from praying as a prince having power with God. Elijah's a servant. It's the same way. He couldn't see in 2 Kings 6.17. 2 Kings 6.17. When Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. In prayer, we're in a fierce conflict with what we can't see. Ephesians 6.12, Ephesians 6.12, we are wrestling. We are wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But just like Jacob in verse five, what we cannot see and understand, we can't understand, doesn't stop us from rising above our Jacobness and rising up to our Israelness and exercise our princely power with God in prayer. This is what it means for us to be like Jacob and have power in prayer. It's to respect those burdens that we have to pray, even when we don't know what to pray for, because God hears our prayers when we are sensitive to respond to the burdens of care and concern for others and rely on the Lord who is the one who said in Jeremiah 33.3, Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And what we, so what we've seen here in the gospel according to Moses is that when a person has received the Lord Jesus Christ, he gains power to become one of the sons of God or, or a prince with God. And as a prince with God, he has a power with God when he comes to his father, the king, in prayer. And that new power is so powerful that even if he doesn't know how to pray or what to pray for because he's in the dark about what's really happening as Jacob was, his prayers have such a power with God that God uses those prayers to do the Jeremiah 33 great and mighty things and the Ephesians 3.20 above what he can ask or think just as we see in the case here with Jacob as Israel praying for his sons, the sons of Israel. That's the gospel power of prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for giving to us position as one of the sons of God, prince of God, and power, power with God in prayer. Help us, Lord, not to squander by neglecting prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saris. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.